This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to a Business Radio special presentation of Dollars and Change. From the floor of the CEO Connection Mid-Market Convention, here again are Cheryl Coleman and Sandy Hunt. Welcome back. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM Business Radio. I'm Sandy Hunt. And I'm Cheryl Coolen. And we are live here on the floor of the 2019 CEO Connection Mid-Market Convention in Philadelphia. You will hear the sounds the hubbub of, in the background. Of, of a conference behind us. They put out the snacks. So we'll <laughs> be a high traffic area pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, but we're excited to bring conversations to you from the floor with many of the CEOs and presidents who are um, leading, uh, leading their organizations with impact as a major priority. I talked earlier about this being one of the the more fun live shows I think we do every year because often the mid-market companies, you get a lot of B2B companies that people might not be familiar with the name brand or companies that are really taking an innovative tack to their Mm -hmm. social impact. So this is a lot of fun. And that fun continues with Scott Jackson joining us as the CEO and president of Global Impact. Scott, welcome to Dollars and Change. Thank you very much. Excellent. You and Cheryl know each other, so this will be a conversation. Indeed, we're going to be on a panel later on. Exactly. So tell us, Scott, what is Global Impact? Global Impact is actually a nonprofit, and we're all about supporting charitable ventures for greater giving. So that can include Fortune 500 companies, mid-market companies, nonprofits, but it's about sitting in that nexus between the public and the private and the nonprofit sectors. So you're consulting with any of those stakeholders exactly on their needs. And what is the temperature like from the industry? We can talk about mid-market because we're here. What's the interest level? What are the hot topics in exploring impact? You know, I think it's very interesting because if you look at the data in terms of overall giving, Mm -hmm. um, you can almost look at roughly about $250 billion that is probably coming from the mid-market and or families and individuals across the United States. And that's roughly 70% of overall giving. Oh, wow. So major foundations, corporations, Mm -hmm. another $100 billion. But... I think that what we don't realize is it's often the family-owned business, the family foundation, the individuals, their children that are giving and represent that kind of 70% of individual giving. So uh, one of the interesting things I think that hopefully CEO Connection can help explore is how do we give voice, which is so wonderful to be on the radio show today with Cheryl and with you, Sandy, how do we give voice to that philanthropy? Mm-hmm. So it's happening all the time, but I'm not sure that it's as aligned with the business objectives of those mid-market companies in their communities and at their headquarters. And I think that's going to be the next wave. And that's a really important point and something we'll be talking about at the panel because I think what we're seeing from students and industry leaders and alumni and general you know, corporations is that the demand for authenticity is strong, right? And if something looks like it's just a bolt-on, it's not something that is really sort of integrated into the company, people are skeptical because it's sort of like, why that? Why choose that? And aren't you just going to get rid of it later? And is it just a pet project? And so I think, you know, absolutely right. Trying to find that alignment yeah. it makes it more credible. And, and I think not just more credible, but more impactful within the company without yeah, and stickier. It's more and likely stickier, to yeah. persist than something that, as we talked a little bit about earlier, 
It's a check cut to an unrelated organization. It's not going to rise and fall with the success of your company. So, Scott, do you want to offer some free consulting to our listeners? <laughs> and you know, of if, course, he if, does. If you're, if you're, you know, a business leader listening and thinking, oh gosh, you know, what Cheryl and Sandy's are saying is resonating. We just, you know, we've done this thing we've always done. No one's really that jazzed about it. It's not really core to our business. You know, how should we be thinking about this, Scott? What is this sort of new way of thinking that we should be challenging ourselves to? What What would you tell them? I would t- encourage them that it's not an either or. So it's not just the nonprofits or causes they care about mm-hmm. and may be part of their own individual philanthropy or the business and being aligned and trying to make it engaging with their employees or customers or stakeholders. It's really about bringing those things together. So how does the CEO of a mid-market company start to think about their own journey in philanthropy and connect to the company and to the change in the world or their community that they'd like to be a part of? And what we find is that they really connect their own story to the company and to the change in the world. That That is a great opportunity for stakeholders to join them. Yeah, and last last year we interviewed uh, a CEO from a company that p- supplied supplies to prisons, um, and then their philanthropy then focused on on prisoners and prisoners' families, and and so it was a very consistent and really uh, clear mission for this company because they're like we're about making this better for the people who are in prisons when they're in prisons and when they're outside. Yeah, yes. and I don't think you're oversimplifying it, Scott. And the the good news and bad news is the need. There's there's a an endless amount of need in almost all sectors. So whatever yeah. the area of, you know, passionate uh, alignment of the CEO's story and the company's you know activities, whatever issue area arises, I don't know of any that are saying we're good. You know, we're, we're like <laughs> no, we've, no we've solved this problem. Um, hopefully that list will grow. Um, excellent. What are some trends you're seeing that our listeners may not be familiar with? innovative strategies or approaches that are sort of cutting edge in the impact space for these companies? Well, one of them is really uh, looking at um, um, connecting their employee giving to their CSR strategy. So in fact, the company that you just mentioned, Mm -hmm. we won't share their name, but it's they're doing some amazing work. If you went into the archives, you could pull, <laughs> yes. pull our show yeah. from last year. There we go. I can't remember it, truthfully, uh, off the top of my head. But fairly significant dollars, too, mm-hmm. going back into the communities where they're serving. Their workplace giving program, they've had uh, not, not a lot of success of employees kind of taking them up on an amount of money that they provide to every employee if they choose to use it for charity. Mm-hmm. Now, many of these employees are not, you know, at an executive level, and so they have to kind of think about their charity. They may, they may not be thinking about their health care or 401k, mm-hmm. right? But what's interesting is that the, I think one of the trends is how can they connect those two things? So, for example, uh, Car- Carlson... Um, um, Corporation, which owns, uh, you know, Wagon Lead, Radisson Hotels, others, they have a wonderful um, workplace giving program that's United Way based. So you can give to any charity through United Way or otherwise. But they also launched an anti trafficking fund. Oh, which is appropriate for hotels. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Exactly. And the family cares about that issue, the hotels care about that issue, the travel industry. And the employees 
matched that fund and exceeded all other international charities in the first year and the second year doubled it. Wow. So that alignment, I think, is one of the trends that we see. What's a good way to um, understand what your employees care about? So if there's not an obvious industry match, you know, as, as is the case with that example, what would be a way for a CEO to start to take the pulse of what their company employees care about? You know, that's really the second big trend we're finding okay. is that um, companies that set up employee committees, ambassadorships, and just ask, ask the question, right? So instead of second guess it and suggest their next new strategy, they actually pull their employees. Microsoft stopped about two years ago even setting a goal for their workplace giving. And it's the largest workplace giving campaign in the, in the world. And instead started asking employees about any key themes they wanted them to focus on. And they came up with four themes over the last two years that they're, that they're you know, elevating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it came from those employee groups and asking them that question. And the third thing I'd say is it often comes from what the employees want to get engaged with. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's those, those engagement programs, whether it's skill-based volunteering or just really group volunteering or community volunteering. And that's where a lot of, you know, if you will, companies are beginning to see, okay, they really care about these food banks. This makes sense for us to give to that food bank. So five years ago, you saw engagement follow the, the money. Mm-hmm. Now you see money follow the engagement. Yeah. Are there any major trends within employees that you're saying these are the issues people care about now more than ever? Yes. You know, it's interesting. Uh, food security is actually a huge issue here in the U.S. So if you look at almost $500 million in the last year and a half, it's gone to disaster funding from the private sector. Uh, about 40% of that was driven by employees caring about food banks and basic food needs for their communities that were affected by disaster. So food security is one major issue. Health care is another major issue. Um, I would say kind of the social determinants, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, cutting across. Yeah. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. And what are people doing around health care? What are employees, you know, getting active in or giving to? Wellness. Oh, okay. Uh, so employee wellness. Yes. Employee wellness, family wellness, community wellness. So you're beginning to see walks turn into wellness programs. Wellness programs turn into community investments. So, you know, Sandy talks about the fact that there's, a, you know, an endless need around a lot of these issues. Um, and sometimes it can feel overwhelming. You're like, just like, oh my gosh, what, ma- you know, what makes you optimistic in doing the work that you're doing? Well, you know, I came down from New York this week as the United Nations General Assembly mm-hmm. meetings, and I was uh, presenting on a, a panel uh, with the UN um, and other stakeholders on basically children in crisis. And, you know, we there's a couple of interesting dichotomies. One is, is that we have more crises uh, in the world than we've had probably in our lifetimes. And those crises are lasting more than 17 years average. So more and more children. Uh, so, for example, out of 70 million uh people who are currently displaced, half of those are children under 18. And I was amazed when I learned that statistic that that displacement is not for a month or two months or even a year. It's, it's decades. Yes. And the flip side, though, 
is that today we have 50% less children dying from preventable causes than we did 15 years ago. So I think there's a great hope when you see what's happened in terms of you know, morbidity, mortality with children around the world, around key issues of health, uh, food security, economic prosperity. But we often kind of overlook the progress that has been made. But, um, but it's there. It's there. Yeah, and we're, and we're, I think we're learning a little bit and trying to test methods. And yeah. The show makes us optimistic. We get to talk to hundreds of people who are doing Except their... about recycling. Yeah. That's yeah. true. <laughs> Recycling, we really haven't turned the optimistic corner on. No, we um, so we'll, we'll, we'll have to have a segment to buoy our spirits on that we one. Will, we will. Scott Jackson, CEO and President of Global Impact, thank you for joining us on Dollars and Change. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Thanks for having me. We're going to pivot to our next guest here, Jeffrey Kiesel, who's the CEO of Restaurant Technologies. Jeffrey, welcome to Dollars and Change. And we're actually yep. doing a literal pivot from one yes. side to the other. <laughs> Glad to be here. Excellent. So um, I start every conversation here the same way for people who might not be familiar with these B2B companies. Tell us about what Restaurant Technologies is. So Restaurant Technologies is a fast-growth, private equity-backed company. We provide back-of-the-house services to restaurants and food service companies. Um, and we take away, eliminate, and automate the worst jobs in the kitchen. Got it. So our, our main product is uh, automating the handling of cooking oil. Mm-hmm. Another one is automating the cleaning of hood flues and fans. Got it. How did such a company get started? It actually spun out of a company that in Minnesota that was making tanks, tanks. to hold Ar- CO2. Oh. I thought you meant army tanks. <laughs> no, 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 just, just metal <laughs> tanks. And um, if you remember way back in the day, there were these cylinders that you'd have to, that held the CO2 for the soft drinks uh-huh. and you just had to hook those up. And uh, they said, hey, we're making a lot of tanks, but the distributors are making all the money. So the, there was a great entrepreneurial group of folks that said, you know what, why don't we change our business model and we will make tanks for, um, for, the, uh, for the restaurants and the, the distributors will just fill uh, the CO2 in these tanks inside. You, they, they, that's how CO2 gets moved right now. But they said, hey, the distributors are making all the money. What else can we do in bulk? Right. And then it became cooking oil. So it was the same customer base, different product in bulk. What's the, what are the dangers with cooking oil? Why is this a, a problem to be solved? It's the number one reason for slips, falls, uh, back injuries in uh, restaurants. It just it creates a very dangerous environment. Uh, the typical way, the traditional way of um, managing cooking oil, you'll go to the, to the back of the restaurant, carry a 35-pound jug, Pour it into the vat, fryer vat, which is at 400, 400 degrees. Mm. It splashes. You don't fill all, You don't empty it all out. You end up dragging it through, and it creates a, a nasty environment. And when the oil is spent, they call it, when it's used up, uh, then it's dragged out and poured into a dumpster in the back of the restaurant, which is not a pleasant environment for anybody. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't sound like a, that's the impactful path. So tell us what the, um, the sort of future state looks like when restaurant technologies can do it better. So we have a business model where we own the equipment and our customers pay it to keep it up 24-7. And we supply the cooking oil on demand. We put in a fresh oil tank, a waste oil tank that are roughly the size of a water heater, connect pumps uh, to the fryer, and it literally is a toggle switch to add, filter, or dispose the oil. And so we eliminate all the manual handling. We eliminate the need to order cooking oil. 
because we have an internet of things. We can measure all roughly 30,000 uh, tanks uh, that we serve, and we deliver the cooking oil when they need it. And what do you do with the cooking oil? Because I know there's some um, uh, organizations that do biofuel, that they use the cooking Correct. oil as a fuel. Do you do that? or We do. do. Um, we bring the cooking oil back to our, our depot, our distribution point, and then it's picked up and it goes to biodiesel. 98% of it goes to biodiesel. Wow. Most, most of it goes to uh, Renewable Energy Group based out of Ames, Iowa, and they have plants all across the U.S. Yeah. And what would happen to it otherwise in the old model? Would it just get... It, it would predominantly dumps? go to um, uh, feed, feed stock for uh, chickens, pigs, etc. Hmm. Just mix it with grain and it gives it nice fat content. Fattens them up. Yeah. So... What other things are you working on? So you talked about the the oil. You talked about the automated hood. What's your what's your employee base like, and what are you doing with them? We have uh, roughly twelve hundred employees, uh, growing at least a hundred a year, um, and so our employees um, we focus very much on engagement, and uh, our retention numbers would show that. So in the CDL driving world, which is a very competitive. Um, to hire folks and retain them, our retention rate's 88%. And the same thing with our technicians, it's roughly the same amount. And so those are big numbers. You would actually yeah. reverse those in most companies. Oh, really? Yeah. But oh, yeah. You'd have that much turnover. Yeah. And so what, uh, what's the secret sauce? Well, we, we, uh, we, chat, we do a pulse check every six months and a full engagement survey uh, every two years with our folks. And we take it as seriously as anything else we do. Uh, it's as serious as our strategic plan. It's as serious as you know, making our monthly budgets and taking care of our customers in and out. The way we do this is that we break it down by manager, and we have all the feedback that you know what the employees like, they don't like, uh, what they'd like to see improve. But we also do a manager score. And so this is it, upward feedback to the manager. That is correct. Okay. And so. We, um, it's as much of a performance review as anything else that they get, and they get it twice a year. Mm. So, you know, do we have a communication issue? Do we have um, on either just what's going on day to day, or do we have a communication issue tying the employees' efforts to the success of the, of the company? Yeah, it was interesting. The, the, your employees, uh, there's been research that sort of really demonstrates that when employees feel that they're part of the purpose of the company and it goes all the way down and everyone sees themselves pulling towards the same end, it does relate to financial performance because of lack of turnover and more employee engagement, harder working, et cetera. That, that harder working thing was a surprising well, when we really looked into it three, four years ago. I, you, you get that little extra effort, yep. you know, that extra five minutes, that extra level of detail. Because it means something to you. You're not just, you're not just sort of trying to clock out as soon as you can. Right? You, you want to make something happen. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the environmental impact. Any of these sure. supply chain type companies have a huge chance to create efficiencies around containers and gas used in transport. What does that shift look like uh, for a company that, you know, wasn't using your services and, and how is it maximized when they do? So we, uh, we track how many 35-pound jugs, which are plastic jugs in a cardboard box. So it's a double negative, mm, if right, you will. Right, right. It's how it's carried. So we eliminate that. We buy it in bulk. So all our customers 
don't have to deal with that from either breaking down the trash or getting into the recycle. And so, I'm imagine how many 35-pound jugs oh, yeah. a, a restaurant must, must use. I, I know. I knew you were going to ask this question. <laughs> I didn't go on our website. <laughs> no. We have a clicker that oh, goes really? through. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. It's got to be. Oh, that's it's, a good, that's a good thing to do. Tens of, tens of millions. Yeah. yeah. That's a that's a very nice visual of the impact you're having there. Right. Sort yeah. of like in people, like Sandy's question, you imagine they use a lot. Yeah, 35. I mean, I don't know. We just three people in my house. It feels like we're buying a big jug of you know, <laughs> coconut oil or vegetable so oil every a, couple of A typical months. QSR is somewhere between 350 and 400 pounds a week. So that's 10 to 10 to 12. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. So that so that's being eliminated. That's right? being eliminated. Um, the the fact that it is going back into fuel and there's uh, in California the, the studies have shown used cooking oil going into fuel is by far uh, the has the lowest footprint. Yeah, carbon footprint. Got it. It's, is that as compared to other types of used fuel? Correct. Okay. Um, ethanol or any other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that 98% use is the, is the highest yes. of the other of, of fuel correct. options. Unbelievable. And is that something you're making money off of too, I hope? We actually share it with our customers. So we, um, oh. we get a delivery fee uh, for the oil. Uh, we get a service fee for keeping up our equipment. And then we share the used cooking oil um, with revenue. our re- with our revenue. We cover our costs and basically split it 50-50. Wow. And what, yeah. What's the size of the restaurants that you, are your customers? We're everything from um, a supermarket, which is going to use you know 100 to 120 pounds a week, all the way to casinos, hotels, et cetera, that are going to use you know 1,000 pounds a week. Right. You know, and I love these models where, you know, in an older version, it, you know, the way business was done, they were paying to bring the oil in. It was probably more expensive. There's a larger environmental footprint, and they weren't recycling it as well. Plus, they had to sometimes pay to get that's correct removed, yeah. right? Yeah, to remove the oil. Now, <laughs> All the higher environmental impact, easier for them, right? Very easy. Lower, probably maybe lower insurance if these employees slips and falls that, that is, and stuff are decreasing. That, that is correct. And. They get some money back because right. you're selling the oil. It's so, like these are the strategies that we will change the world because there's no reason for it not to continue. Right. So our customers love the ease of use. They love the business case that we teach them how to use less oil. So it, it basically is a break even. Yeah. But why they never leave is that it's a safer, cleaner environment. Yeah. And if they use all the tools, we tell them they actually produce better food. Oh, wow. Sure, because the oil is more often fresh, right? It's more nothing worse than... Fresh, and we, we, depending on their menu, we tell them what their pounds of oil per pound of food fried should be. Hmm. So it's just kind of like a miles per gallon efficiency standpoint. Using too much oil, you're wasting money. Using too little, you're, you're not really cooking well and consistently. Excellent. Well, you're covering a lot of the bases on the impact front. What What's <laughs> next on the horizon? Is Are there any problems that are still... Uh, nagging at you that you're trying to solve? Well, this um, it's top secret. No, but, <laughs> well, but, but I think so. We did just buy another uh, augmenting product as we look at the hood flues and fans. Hmm. Now that's an area that uh, it's the second worst thing that uh, has to happen in a in a restaurant, and there it's actually done manually, either internally, but most likely an outside hood cleaner. And that's just a tough job. I'm sure they have a hard time finding people to do that in the middle of the night. And generally, it's, a, it's a, just a tough service. I would not want to be in that business. Right. Um, so we, when we're doing this automatically cleaning it uh, with Automist, but we also just bought a company in technology called Greaselock. 
And that is a filter medium based out of wool and a, a slight synthetic blend. And it goes in between the baffles of the hood. And what it does, it blocks anywhere from 85 to 98% of the grease from getting into the hood Wow. At all. So that product... Without can, reducing the airflow. Without reducing the airflow. So, good, great question. Yeah. So, the, um, so now we have an answer for everybody. If, we can't, if Auto Mist doesn't fit for some folks, uh, we'll put in Grease Lock. And in combination, that's really the best of both worlds. Absolutely. And that's an, you know, another win-win where it's a, it's a hazardous right job that doesn't need to get done. And um, it sounds like that's even a, a sort of natural product. If it's it is a natural product. They're actually bio, biodegradable. You just, you can, if you wanted, you just you know, put it in the, in the grass and use it to uh, as, uh, it would, it would uh, fertilize, biodegrade. Bi- yeah. yes. Excellent. Well, that sounds great. And we certainly love hearing about uh, how technology is playing a role right. in, in coming yeah. into these businesses. Very, very cool. Any impact on jobs? More jobs, less jobs as a result of all these technologies? You know, that's a, that's a great question. They're, they're hard to hire those jobs. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's probably a net neutral um, because I think people would prefer not to do those jobs, mm-hmm. yet work there. We don't eliminate a job in the restaurant. We eliminate hours of jobs. So they, they, yeah. most of our customers will take those hours and put in more customer facing. Got it. Yeah, one one less dangerous thing to do. Yeah, right. there's time as an employee. It's funny. There, there's certainly some jobs that it's good for robots or other technology mm-hmm. to replace them. You know, it's not, no one really wants to do that job. And I would say that the hood cleaning is not not a fun job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Excellent. Well, this was a fascinating conversation. I always love when we get to learn about industries that we know nothing about. about. Yeah, <laughs> there are a lot of them. Yes, yes, yeah. indeed. And this is just one of those, um, you know, really obvious win-win-wins where, you know, there are no holes holes to poke in this, you know, in in terms of it being really good for the environment for all these companies. And so congrats on the success, Jeff. Thanks. Thank you for joining us, telling us about restaurant technologies today. Yep. Uh, we hope it's a great, great rest of the conference. you got a social impact panel coming up this afternoon with Cheryl. Indeed, indeed. So I hope it's a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us. Great. Thanks for being here. Thank Take you. care. You so, know, oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Cheryl. I was just going to say that wraps our interviews today here. This is always so much fun. I could stop almost any one of these business leaders walking by well, and, and talk to them about their impact work because it know, is, yeah. it's just this is from the front lines. This is a CEO of a mid, mid-sized company who has responsibility for making all these decisions, and it's really neat to see how they're thinking about impact. Well, and I think what's really interesting about it is, A, as you mentioned, these are a lot of companies that don't rise to my visibility. Right. I didn't yeah. know they You've exist. You've never been in a restaurant and asked, how's your, <laughs> what's the grease process here? What's the grease process here? I haven't done that. Um, but also then what becomes really interesting is sort of seeing how in these different businesses there's a kind of um, uh, impact built in to how they're, how they're approaching the business, right? And so that, that I think, is really um, good to see. Good to see. Yeah, those are the ones that we're, we're most confident will stick. Exactly. And so they are wonderful to see. So we're going to wrap up live here from the floor. We're going to go mingle, have some fun. Have some fun. Have some snacks. Some shortbreads. Exactly. <laughs> shortbread. I think this is what I think this is Walker's shortbread is a midsize company. Yep. Yep. So that we see some of those out there. Uh, listeners, we want to thank you for joining us here, being a little bit of a part of the 2019 CEO Connection Mid-Market Convention here in Philadelphia. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM Business Radio, Channel 132. Thanks for being with us today. We look forward to talking to you again next week. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 